Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about poltergeists. That's all I'm going to say about it. But first, there's shout-outs. That's right, shout-outs go out to Aaron, Aaron, Ah, Monster, Lauren and David, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, Anthony, April, Seth, Eric, Audra, Austin, Autumn, Bill, Bob, Brandon, Brett, Carolyn, Carrie, Christine, Chuck, Cindy, Cole, Dan, Daniel, Devin, Dill, Donald, Dorian, Elliot, Erica, Aaron, Ezram, Harvey, Heidi, I, Isabel, J. Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jeff, Jennifer, Jared, Jerry, Jim, Joe, Joanne, Joe, John, Joshua, Juliana, Carrie, Carrie, Kelly, Kelsey, Kimberly, Kira, Lash, Laura, 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 Ruth O, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Lauren McCune, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, Hahn, Lorraine M. Caballero, Martin, Matt, Matt, Megan, Mickey, Seth, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Ah, oh, no, I forgot to check your name yet again. So I'm going to say it again. Pedestrian Wolf, Rachel Reed, Robin, Rosa, Russell, Sarah, Sarah, Sean, Bishop. So good to see you today, buddy. Shelly, Sonny, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson. It's been too long since we hung out. Tanya, Trey, Veronica, and Will. If you want to be like the cool kids, head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. All the money that is given to me on Patreon goes to make this show a better show. Buying items, buying merchandise, buying things for booths, buying artists to make said merchandise. Every penny goes to help out this show and I cannot thank you enough. Alrighty, with that, let's get right on into paranormal news. The first story of paranormal news is this market basket haunted? Ghost sighting at at Wilmington Market Basket goes viral. I don't know if you can talk to ghosts, but I think it would be cool to see what she is up to. A ghost sighting at Massachusetts Market Basket has created a stir as customers keep a lookout for a Victorian-era specter in the frozen food aisle. The grocery store in Wilmington was drawn into the spotlight this month after one of its employees posted about her ghost sighting in a local Facebook group. Christiana, yeah, Christiana Bush, who works in the store's bakery department, claims to have seen an elderly, nope, an older woman in Victorian-era nightgown and a hair cap standing in the frozen food aisle. Bush looked down, and when she looked back up, she said the woman had disappeared. She looked kind of like melancholy and a little angry, so it was kind of a creepy kind of sense, but it was something... She searched up and down the aisles to find the woman, but Bush said she was nowhere to be found. She believes the woman was a ghost and asked the Facebook group whether anyone else had a paranormal experience in her store. This is going to sound really strange, but has anyone seen a ghost in the Wilmington Market Basket? The post attracted plenty of attention from both believers and skeptics, but others also claimed to have seen something ghostly in the grocery store. It soon became the talk of the town. 
I had no idea it was going to blow up. I mean, I just posted a random status on Facebook saying, has anyone seen a ghost? Because I just wanted to connect with people. Customers at the store Monday were aware of the ghost story and were on the hunt to see if they could catch a glimpse of the rumored visitor. We are looking. We're trying to find her, but we haven't seen her, said Tiffany from Bella Rica. Sure. Maybe she is from the area. Maybe she's looking for someone. Maybe she just not crossed over. Others are not so sure that anything paranormal is happening in the store. I just don't believe in ghosts, said Dawn from Wilmington. I've been coming here for 35 years and haven't seen a ghost. U.S. Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts even tweeted about the local ghost story. Apparently a ghost is haunting the Wilmington Market Basket. I thought I only needed to worry about witches and ghouls in Salem. Market Basket officials say that to their knowledge, the stores are free from ghostly visitors. As far as we know, all of our stores are ghost-free, said Justine Griffin, a spokesperson for the company. But if there's anything to it, she's probably attracted to our Victorian-era prices. <laughs> okay, that's enough of that story. You get it. There's a ghost in a grocery store, wandering around. So, if you're in the area and you want to see a ghost, head on over to that market basket. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, mysterious radio signals from space is repeating every 16 days. That's right, yet another one of these. Oh god, something's playing. Hold on. No thank you. That's right, another one of these stories where we're receiving mysterious radio signals from space. But this one is repeating and repeating every 16 days. It says, mysterious radio signals from space have been known to repeat, but for the first time, researchers have noticed a pattern in a series of bursts coming from a single source half a billion light years from Earth. Fast radio bursts, or FRBs, are millisecond-long bursts of radio waves in space. Individual radio bursts emit once and don't repeat, but repeating fast radio bursts are known to send out short, energetic radio waves multiple times. Usually when they repeat, it's sporadic or in a cluster, according to previous observations. Now here we go. Between September 16, 2018 and October 30, 2019, researchers with the Canadian Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment Fast Radio Burst Project Calibration. Really? That's your name? C-H-I-M Chime Fibrapuch. Yeah, Chime Fibrapuch. That's what it... That's what their, you know, initials spell out. Um, so anyhow, this terribly named company detected a pattern in bursts occurring every 16.35 days. Over the course of four days, the signal would release a burst of two each hour. Then it would go silent for another 12 days. The findings are included in the preprint of a paper on Arxvik. Arxiv. A-R-X-I-V. Arxiv. Meaning, the paper has been moderated but not fully peer-reviewed. The authors of the paper are part of the Chime Furbub, see I told you it was called that, calibration, which has published a multitude of fast radio burst studies in recent years. Now here's the thing. They're saying, you know, it could be something celestial. 100%. I can totally get behind that. But, just maybe, the 16.3 day, 3.5 day periodicity, 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 that's a terrible word, is very interesting. Because if they are doing it, if it's something sentient that's doing it, perhaps they're bursting it out all the time, but we're only getting it when their planet is facing our solar system or facing our planet, basically. There is a very good chance, not a very good chance, well, in my opinion, I'll put it this way, in my opinion, there is a very good chance that we are going to stumble across extraterrestrials using this method. 
Now, are they all using radio? Probably not. They've probably moved on to something we haven't figured out yet, but it's a start. And the fact that this is the very first time that we're finding this 16 days repeating signal is very cool, is very big, is huge news. Because just maybe, maybe, just maybe, we're seeing extraterrestrial life sending out a signal in our direction. I love that one. I think that one is very freaking cool. Okay, up next, sticking with space and NASA and all that fun stuff, NASA captures footage of UFO on Space Station live feed. Scott Seawaring, the founder of UFO Sightings Daily, was the first one who spotted the unidentified flying object, and he posted a video showing exactly where it was and what it looks like. He explained, I was watching the NASA live space station cam when I noticed the camera zooming in on a strange object coming from below the space station. At first, I thought it was a capsule or a satellite. Uh, Kurt here probably still is. But its speed increased, and after 22 minutes, it shot up and into deep space. Ooh, okay, maybe not then. I believed it was a capsule. I believed if it was a capsule, it would have gone into low Earth orbit, then lower to land. But when this object shot upward into deep space, it literally blew my mind. This could be USAF top secret alien tech fused craft, but I don't think so. That's what this guy is saying. The person on the camera seemed dismayed and unprepared for its sudden appearance. Okay, as always, I like to watch this stuff for the first time live on uh, podcast, whatever you want to call it. So let's click play. Hello, everyone. This is Scott of ET Database. Oh, I'm going to mute you because I don't like the way you're speaking. If I did my entire podcast like this, fucking kill me now. Okay, so it's a, yep, there's a space station. He's right. There is something small just off from the, you know, from the space station, obviously a bit distant away. Oh, crap. I got to listen to this idiot. All right. No, I'm not listening to this guy. Okay, so he is right. It There is something. It is triangular shaped. I'm skipping ahead. I want to see it shoot off. Okay, skipping ahead. Let's see. Because right now, it just looks like a satellite to me. Okay, here we go. Here's the shooting off part. Um, not shooting off. All right, so it does seem to be going into orbit. It's not, I wouldn't call that shooting off, but I mean, maybe he's slowing it down. I'm not listening to the guy, but it, it is interesting. I don't know what to make of this one. It very well could be something from us, 100%. In fact, I bet money it is some kind of top secret craft that we have. We know we have drones out there that can stay out there for 365 days or whatever the hell they are. So... Yeah, it probably is something cool. Is it a UFO? Technically, yes, because I don't know what it is. So I'll put this one on the uh, on the Facebook page and uh, tell me what you guys think. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, WSDOT finds Bigfoot Sherman Pass sighting was cut out placed on a tree. Remember that uh, that Sherman Pass Bigfoot thing that I was showing that came up on a traffic cam or something? Um, and I said, well, you know, it's, it looks like I thought it was a guy in a hoodie walking. But apparently, it was a three-quarter inch wood cutout. It was nine feet tall, thousands of pounds, he says. No, it wasn't. The recent Bigfoot sightings on Sherman Pass, Sherman Pass have officially been debunked. 
Washington State Department of Transportation crews were looking into the looking into revealing what was placed on a tree seen on a Sherman Pass camera during a recent visit, but then discovered it was gone. Rumor has it someone placed a three-quarter inch wood cutout of Bigfoot on the tree. The cutout now seems to be gone, is no longer visible. Wait, well then how the hell do they know it was a cutout? What? This is a terrible story. So how the hell do they know it was a three-quarter inch cut wood cutout? Rumor has it someone placed a three-quarter inch wood cutout of Bigfoot on the tree. Okay, well, great rumor, great story, moving on. Sticking with Bigfoot, hopefully more realistic than that, than that last one. Oh, what a terrible, I'm just going to read you the headline. Y'all Yeti for this? Y'all Yeti for this? That's right. They punned it. Y'all Yeti for this? Two men claim they saw a Bigfoot-like creature at Salt Fork State Park. While hiking in the woods... Oh, wait, I actually told you guys this story already, just in a different version. So, um, forget that one. Let's just move on from paranormal news, because... Y'all Yeti for this? God, that's terrible. Um, there's new merch. Head on over to paranormalalmanac.storeenvy.com for all your Paranormal Almanac merchandise needs. Now, I have a couple of friend artists who are working on more stuff for me. When that stuff is ready, I'm sure I'll let everybody know. But, again, I want to thank everybody that's already bought the shirts. The DSFB, don't fuck it, DFSB uh, shirt that Sean Bishop did is amazing. It's incredible. It's my favorite shirt. In fact, I just bought one for myself. That's right. I got to buy my own merchandise. I just bought one for myself. Cannot wait for it to be here so I can start wearing it. It's great. In my opinion, I didn't make it. I can say it. It's fantastic. I love it. There's a bunch of cool merch. Check it out. Tell me what you think. But with that, let's head on over to a break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac in just a minute. That's right, we are back, Stitches on my lap, which means that is the official signal of it's time to get into this episode. Okay, as some of you may know, the movie that scared me the most ever wasn't The Exorcist, it wasn't Rosemary's Baby, it wasn't Mac and Me, nope, it was Poltergeist. The original that came out in 1982, that Poltergeist, that fucking movie so my mom took me to go see the movie she's like hey let's go see a movie and i'm like cool it's is it star wars i love star wars let's go see star wars and she takes me there and she wanted to see poltergeist and that movie scared the shit out of me not literally thankfully but it scarred me to this day i think i may have watched it once since that day and nope nope no way no how because my grandma's house had a big old tree outside the window, and that house was definitely haunted. So something sleeping, or so something, so me sleeping alone in that room and having something scrape against the window during a nice Michigan thunderstorm meant young Kurt was wide awake all freaking night. Oh, and did I mention that my grandma also collected clowns? Because of course she did. There were clowns all over that house. 
Then, a few weeks after I saw Poltergeist, still complete meltdown, uh, my dad took me to his friend's house so they could work on an old car. And he told me, hey, go swim in the pool, you know, go swim in the pool while we work on the old car. So I did, and the second I got in that pool, all I could think about was skeletons popping up. So it was the absolute least relaxing, least fun swimming experience I've ever had since Jaws. Because after I saw Jaws, I didn't care what the body of water is, there was a Jaws in there. Now, I gotta worry about a Jaws or a bunch of skeletons coming to take me down. And I'm pretty sure it was the most I've ever peed in a pool in my entire life. But... Enough about me. Let's talk about the Poltergeist movie Curse. Then we'll get to the true story that inspired it. Yeah, that's right. There is a true story behind that terrifying freaking movie. The movie that probably got me into ghost hunting, sure, through fear alone, but the movie that scared me to my wits end. I don't know how old I was. I was a kid, 11, 10, whatever. 12, but I was not prepared. I was prepared to go see Star Wars and Luke Skywalker, maybe Indiana Jones. I was not prepared for ghosts and maggots and face and Craig T. Nelson, and that's all you gotta say. It was terrifying. But this isn't a therapy session for me. I'm here to talk about the curse. I'm here to focus on Paranormal Almanac. So let's get right into the poltergeist curse. Yeah, there does seem to be some truth to that poltergeist curse that I'm sure you've heard a little bit about, but there's also some BS too. And with that said, let's jump right into this episode like you would jump into a pool filled with skeletons. Alrighty, in case you didn't know, the movie Poltergeist came out in 1982. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it first because I've already spoiled some stuff and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna spoil some more in just a second. But let me give you a little uh, synopsis of the movie. Straight from its own Wikipedia, Poltergeist is a 1982 American supernatural horror film directed by Toby Hooper, probably, probably not, and written by producer Steven Spielberg, Michael Grays, and Mark Victor. I don't care about any of this. Let's get to the actual plot. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> With their three children. <laughs> and something more. Thank you. 
its focus is clear. And the games are over. Yes, it does. F this movie. I hate everything about it. Not recommended by Kurtz everywhere. Okay, Steve and Diane Freeling live in a quiet life, live a quiet life in an Orange County, California planned community called Cuesta Verde? Sure. Where Steve is a successful real estate developer and Diane looks after their children, Dana, Robbie, and little Carol Ann. Carol Ann awakes one night and begins conversing with the family's television set, which is displaying static following a sign-off. The following night, while the Freelings sleep, Carol Ann fixates on the television set as it, tra as it transmits static again. Suddenly, a ghostly white hand emerges from the television, after which there is a violent earthquake. As the shaking subsides, Carol Ann announces... They're here. Alrighty, that's about all you need to know. I mean, there's more to it. Bunch of weird crap kind of happens, ghosty stuff. They get some parapsychologists to come town, you know, come and visit it. There's a little old lady that uh, says, you know, stupid stuff. Um, but the point of all of this is that Poltergeist is a scary fucking movie. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it first because I'm about to talk all about what happened before, during, and after that movie came out. Alrighty. Nope, nope, nope. You don't have to keep playing. In fact, I'm going to turn you off so you don't accidentally keep playing. Okay, you watched it. And probably just thought, Kurt, that movie wasn't that bad. I was 11. It was fucking terrifying. But, so there's this thing called the Poltergeist Curse. And it all started after the first movie came out. Well, technically, during the filming. But, let's start where the curse really took off. Sad times for a second. It all started, unfortunately, with the tragic death of Dominique Dunn, who played the oldest daughter, Dana, in the film, because her dickhead ex-boyfriend murdered her on November 4th, 1982, when she was just 22 years old. Her one and only film credit was Poltergeist. And with that, so began the curse. Because word started to get out about some odd things that happened during the filming of Poltergeist. But the curse really took off after the second movie came out in 1986. Because that's when two actors from that movie died after the film's release. Spooky, right? Well, not really. This is one of those bullshit part of the curse. The first one that died was Julian was Julian Beck. He's the 60-year-old actor who played the evil spirit Kane in Poltergeist 2: The Other Side. You know that creepy-looking guy that said you're all going to die in there? Now I got to watch that clip. Okay, well Julian died in real life of stomach cancer on September 14th, 1985 at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, seven months before the sequel even came out. But let's be realistic. He had been battling cancer for eight 
18 months. And I gotta be honest, sadly, if you watch that movie, he did not look healthy in the movie itself. Now, the other actor that died was Will Sampson, the 53-year-old Native American actor who portrayed the good spirit, Taylor, and he died on June 3rd, 1987, about a year after the movie came out. Now, like Julian, his death wasn't a shock either because, sadly, he had received a heart-lung transplant six weeks earlier. Now, the cause of death was described as um, severe preoperative malnutrition and postoperative kidney failure and fungal infection. Now, the doctors were very clear with him that his chances of survival were slim. But these two deaths, coupled with Dominique Dunn's death, was really enough for people to really start noticing the curse. And that's when all of the pieces for this curse started to be put together. Now, other stuff from the first movie's production came to light, like... Now, this next one wasn't a death, thankfully, but easily could have been. Like... Oliver Robbins, who played the son Robbie, had a mishap on the set of the first film when a mechanical clown was reported that uh, it completely malfunctioned and actually choked him. Now, I don't mean that the clown became sentient and got up and choked the boy out. It just locked up and he was choking because of it. And because he was being attacked by the clown in the script, you know, while they were filming... People on set didn't even realize it happened until he started turning colors. Then they yelled cut and jumped in to help him from that evil fucking clown. So, weird and freaky. Sure. Is it a curse? Don't know. But it's more of a curse than the two actors that passed away. Because like I said, neither were healthy, unfortunately. Cancer and then that transplant is what killed both of them. But let's keep on moving. Joe Beth Williams, who played the mom Diane, claimed that Steven Spielberg insisted on using actual human skeletons as props in order to save money. I've checked into it. It does seem like at that time, actual human skeletons were cheaper than plastic skeletons. Now, she said, you have to understand that this sequence probably took four or five days to shoot. This is when she's in the pool covered in mud and goop and everything, and all these skeletons start popping up out of the muddy water around her. So she says, I was in the mud and goop all, all day, every day, for like four or five days with skeletons all around me as I was screaming. In my innocence and naivete, I assumed that these were not real skeletons. I assumed that they were made from prop skeletons made out of plastic or rubber. I found out, as did the whole crew, that they were using actual skeletons. Again, because it's far too expensive to make fake skeletons out of rubber. And she says, and I think everybody got really creeped out by that idea. Okay, I gotta say, I found it really hard to believe that they used real skeletons. I really thought that this was gonna be an urban legend. I was gonna be able to debunk it right away. I mean, there's plastic skeletons all throughout Pirates of the Caribbean, and that came out 20 years before this. There's plastic skeletons in a shit ton of movies 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, let alone 80s. So I was like, this one's going to be easy. Boom, bam. I'm going to debunk the shit out of it. Well, this was later confirmed by a couple of sources, like special effects makeup artist Craig Reardon. Now, he said uh, um, he said under oath in a court case about the movie screenwriters, it's an unrelated court case, but under oath, he said 
that the skeletons used for the scene were real. He said, I acquired a number of actual biological surgical skeletons is what they're called. They were uh, for hanging in classrooms in study. These are actual skeletons from people. Well, that's where skeletons come from, dude. Um, I think the bones are acquired from India, but at any rate, we got about 13 of these, and we dressed them so they looked uh, not like bleached, clean, bolted-together skeletons, but instead, disintegrating cadavers. And you know, added sculptured... And you know, added sculptured rubber and things to them so they'd have kind of a dramatic, leering, spooky effect and not be dull. What I'm trying to say, clinical-type corpses. You know, then... Bruce Casson, who was the film's assistant prop master, he also confirmed that, yep, indeed, those skeletons were real. He said they came from Carolina Biological, who sold human skeletons mainly for use in medical schools back in the 80s. Replica skeletons did not exist, as far as I remember, at that time. Again, I don't buy that part of it, though. There's not a bunch of skeletons, real skeletons, in Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland. I don't buy that at all. But, he said, They're now common and relatively cheap, and the rush to the bottom line for cost will dictate. So again, from what it seems, by the two men that worked on there, yeah, those skeletons were real on set and seen in the movie. Now, another thing from the first film was Will Sampson. Again, he was that Native American guy from the second one performed an exorcism after shooting wrapped up one night during the filming of Poltergeist 2. Joe Beth Williams recalled an odd, nervous feeling, her words, on set that seemed to dissipate after Will performed the exorcism on set. She also told a story in an interview about how she'd often return home from a day's shoot to find all of the pictures in her house tilted. She would straighten them, only to find them crooked when she got home the next day. And she really didn't put two and two together because they were working such long hours. She was so tired. But later, thinking back on it, yeah, kind of freaked her out. Okay, let's move on to Poltergeist 3, which came out June 10th, 1988. But before it came out, sadly, the main star herself, little Carol Ann, 12-year-old Heather O'Rourke, died on February 1st, 1988. Now, she died due to complications from an acute bowel obstruction. Now, her Wikipedia says, on January 31st, 1988, Heather began exhibiting flu-like symptoms. The following morning, she collapsed in her home and was rushed to Community Hospital in El Cajon. En route, she suffered cardiac arrest, but paramedics were able to restart her heart at 9.25 a.m. She was subsequently air-flighted to the Children's Hospital of San Diego, where it was discovered that a portion of her intestine had ballooned to four inches in diameter. She underwent emergency surgery to repair it, but died two hours into the surgery. Just an absolute terrible loss. She was a, you know, such a young girl, fantastic actress, whole life ahead of her. Sadly, she died. And again, that's when it really kind of cemented this curse. After every movie, someone was dying. The first one was the sister. Second one was two people. The third one was little Carol Ann herself. Now, next up is someone who actually survived, but might not have had things not worked out because at the last minute before he was boarding the plane, he was recognized from the Poltergeist movies themselves. His name was Richard Lawson. Now, he played Ryan in the first film, and he boarded Flight 405 to Cleveland in 1992. Now, 
He since said, many passengers on board reported feeling uneasy before the flight. He said that he was bumped up to first class after a flight attendant recognized him from the Poltergeist movies. But just after takeoff, the plane crashed into the bay, killing 27 people aboard who were trapped into their seats, including people in his original row. Terrifying, luckily he survived, but again, added to the curse. Then in 2004, the director of Poltergeist 2, Brian Gibson, who's only 59 years old, died of bone cancer. Now again, terrible loss, terribly young age, but he was sick, he did have cancer, he did have bone cancer, it was very aggressive bone cancer. So, again, not a shock, but still, throw it in the curse pile, there does seem to be something there. From there, the next person in the curse was Lou Perryman. Now, he played Pugsley, a construction worker in the very first film. Now, Lou died in 2009, that's right, when a man who was on the run from the police entered Lou's home and attacked him with an axe. The killer, who later turned himself in, said he attacked Lou because he needed his car and some other items from his house. Finally, James Kahn, who wrote the novelization of Poltergeist, reported something funny bizarre. He said that uh, right after he wrote the line, quote, lightning streaked the sky. He says a freak lightning bolt struck his building. He then said that the lights went out and that the video games in his house turned on and started playing. So yeah, I mean, freaky, but you know, not asphyxiation by clown freaky. Okay, so that about does it for the curse, right? Nope. We're gonna keep on going because Gil Keenan, who directed the 2015 reboot, said, the film was plagued by strange equipment failures on one plot of land, and that the house he stayed in while filming was haunted by a female figure in a black dress that would follow him to and from set, though it thankfully did not return to Los Angeles with them when, they filming, when the filming wrapped. Fun fact, the rap party for that poltergeist, the reboot poltergeist, actually happened at the Omen house, David Omen's house itself. And, not surprisingly, bizarre things happened at that party because of course they did. If you've heard my episodes with David Omen, weird shit happens at his house all the time. Okay, so that about does it for the curse. And I can, again, I can see why. I mean, again, there was how many Police Academy movies? How many people died during those? None. How many Lord of the Rings movies were there? Did anybody die during the filming? Did a bunch of weird shit happen with those? Nope. But for some reason, this poltergeist curse kept growing and growing and growing and more things kept adding to it. I heard there was a documentary. I'll be honest, I've not watched it. Uh, if it's been out, I'm not even sure if it's out. But I can see again, I can see why everybody was convinced that there was a curse. And in fact... If I was Craig T. Nelson, I wouldn't have wanted to continue making those movies or Joe Beth Williams or anybody really because people kept dying. What about that little old lady from the movie? I thought she died as well. Now I got to look into this. Zelda Rubenstein. When did Zelda when did Zelda Rubenstein die? Nope, she died in 2010, apparently not part of the curse even though she died as well. Okay, but again, I can see why people think there's a curse. I wouldn't have wanted to have been part of these movies. No way, no how. It just seems like something bad followed these movies. Now, there's been a bunch of BS online that the 
that the skeletons they used were Native American skeletons, that's not true at all. That the land that they were using to film on was part of a Native American burial ground, that's not true at all. There is a bunch of shit that's incorporated into the poltergeist curse, but the what I just told you guys about, that's the extent of it really. Again, are a couple of those deaths not a surprise, but sadly some of them were very surprising. Okay, so again, that about does it for the curse. Let's get to the real story. The story that inspired the freaking movie itself. And for this, we have to go to 803 Poppets Way in Crosby, Texas. Because during the early 80s, a new neighborhood was being built in a seemingly nice part of town. Just like the movie. A couple, Ben and Gene Williams, bought one of the houses and they almost immediately started noticing things like toilets flushing, the lights flickering and going on and off. And yes, I, I know that flickering is technically lights going on and off, but I mean, besides the flickering of the lights, the lights themselves would turn off and then some, sometime later pop back on. So both, both things were happening. They also reported something that I'm going to talk about in just a little bit. They said that the tree in their yard was covered with strange markings. But again, more on that later. Okay, so we got Ben and Gene Williams by the house. Bunch of weird, freaky shit starts happening. Then, something else started happening. Rectangular sinkholes began appearing in their backyard. And yes, skeptics, that I know that improperly set up septic tanks can make rectangles in the ground appear... But from everything I could find, this didn't match those kinds of descriptions at all. Now, it wasn't until 1983 when their neighbors Sam and Judy Haney decided that they wanted a pool. So they got a company to do it, or depending where you get your info, they got a backhoe and started doing it themselves. And when they started digging, they found, yep, Craig T. Nelson. Nope, wait, nope. Nope, they found coffins. Of course they did. They found two coffins containing the bodies of a man and a woman. So, all stop on the pool, and no one from the local police could figure out where these coffins came from, supposedly. Now, after some research, they found out about the old cemetery that had been where these brand new houses are at this time. You know, like they were like, hey, where your house is, there used to be this old-ass cemetery. And Sam and Judy themselves actually got in contact, or this person got in contact with them, depending where you get your info from, but they got in contact with an old grave digger, and he confirmed that, yep, this area was once the site of the Black Hope Cemetery, and that as many as 60 people, many of whom were former slaves, were buried there. You know, because that's what you do at a cemetery. But some sites say that they even identified the two bodies found, and they were the bodies of Betty and Charlie Thomas, former slaves who were buried there in the 1930s. But I can't confirm that they were really identified. So, more research on the area did reveal that the whole subdivision itself was at one time a Civil War plantation. Again, depending on where you get your info, some sites say that the real estate development team did know about the cemetery. But just like in the movie, they bulldozed the picket fences and the gravestones, leaving the freaking bodies. 
just like the movie. More grain of salt time. Look, yes, I know, there is a lot of grain of salt or not specific parts of this story. I can prove a lot of the details, but most of it has been regurgitated over and over so much. So even though the story is really not that old, trying to figure out fact from fiction is really hard on this one. And I mean really difficult to do. But here we go. Grain of salt time. Many sites say that the Haney's reburied the Thomases back in the ground in their own backyard. But I call bullshit on that. What do, what police department is going to say, what's that? You, you dug up what? Oh, two bodies of Civil War slaves trying to build a swimming pool? Well, tough shit. They were there first, so put them back where you found them. Right? That's bullshit. You can't just rebury two bodies in your backyard and go, well, honey, I guess we're not going to have a pool. Maybe an above-ground pool, but not an in-ground pool. Bullshit. Anyhow, the Haney started experiencing cold spots, disembodied voices. Their clock glowed and started sparking even though it was unplugged. They were hearing strange sounds, you know, all the typical things you hear when you desecrate a grave trying to make a pool, as did other neighbors, some of whom immediately started regretting their new home purchases and put their homes up for sale because of all the paranormal activity. Okay, so it seems like the majority of the activity happened at the Williams house and the Haney house. So let's jump back over to Ben and Jean Williams that I told you about first. Okay, first up, their granddaughter got sick. And I mean really sick and progressively worse. Then those fun rectangles in the backyard, remember those? Well, they became full-blown sinkholes. That's right, a bunch of rectangular sinkholes. Now, I can't find any evidence to say that these rectangles were the exact same size and shape of coffins. But I can't say anything to say it wasn't it. So there is a very good chance that these sinkholes were due to Civil War age coffins that used to be buried there that have since disintegrated. Then they have cold spots in the house. They witness objects moving on their own. They heard footsteps. The electric garage door opener opened and closed by itself. Or I guess actually the electric garage door opened and closed on its own. The smell of fresh brewed coffee was smelled every morning at 5 a.m. by the Williams, but I gotta say, it seems like that's just a ghost trying to make them breakfast in bed, so nothing bad there. But this one, not so much. The Williams said that birds nesting around their house pecked their babies to death. Some sites say Ben started seeing apparitions in the house, and one night, he was awoke to see one floating over his sleeping wife, Jean. I'm guessing kind of Ghostbuster style without the blowjob. Back to the Haney's. They were seeing the same shit that the Williams were seeing and having the same shit happen to them, including the illnesses. So they say, you know what? That's it. I'm out. I'm done. Fuck the Thomases in the backyard. I don't want to do this anymore. And they filed a lawsuit with the developer. But somehow... Even though the jury found in favor of the Haney's, 
The judge overruled the decision. So now the Brocanies, they just said, fuck it. They filed for bankruptcy and they left anyway. Okay, Haney's out. Back to the Williams. They do a lawsuit too, but they want to document as much evidence as possible. So they find someone from the old cemetery time. An alive person, that is. Not the poor dead Thomases. They find an alive person and this person says... Those strange markings on the tree, remember I was talking about those earlier? Well, those strange markers on the tree, markings on the tree, were actually grave markers. And that someone was buried at the base of the tree. So, they figure, here we go. If we can dig down and find the bodies, we're getting our money back and we're getting the F out. So, Jean starts digging with her 30-year-old daughter, Tina, helping her. Again. Grain of salt time. I can't confirm it, but it seems that Tina suffers a massive heart attack while digging the hole and dies. So the Williams say, fuck it, and they just abandon their house too. Now this leads us to the, I'm going to jump ahead in the story a little bit. This leads us to the current owner of the Haney's house, Tom Hunt. Now he says, I still believe that there are two graves buried in my front yard, but nothing weird has ever happened in our home. If there are spirits, they're good spirits and they like us. Hey, uh, Tom, you got to ramp it up just a touch because I don't care how mellow and laid back you are. If you have two bodies buried in your yard, get them the hell out of there, dude. Now, one of the residents in the old Williams house, Kayla Lengacher, King Kayla Lengacher, sure, whatever, doesn't matter, said, Nothing weird has ever happened here, except one time I heard what sounded like a cougar screaming above my window, and I went to see what it was. Nothing was there. That's kind of weird. You literally start with nothing weird has ever happened there, and then start with that sentence? That's kind of weird, Kayla. Okay, now we're going to move on to Walter, I'm not even going to try your last name, who lives a few houses down and said he was out riding his dirt bike through the woods near his home when he came upon a 19th century Sims family gravesite. Now, it was enclosed in a wrought iron fencing, and he says, yeah, there are still graves nearby. His wife said not much has happened, except the lamp comes on and off without warning, but it's one of those touch lamps, and I think it might be a circuit problem or something. Uh-huh, sure, you keep thinking that. Enjoy your new house with cemeteries built in. Now, another neighbor says, one time my mother and her friend Jeff Griffith and I were in the house and the bathroom door. Nope. I'm going to start that whole thing over. Hi, Stitch. How you doing, pal? Hi, buddy. Okay. Another neighbor said, one time my mother, her friend Jeff and I were in the house and the bedroom door slammed shut. Now, I told him it was draft or it was just the wind or something like that. I don't think it's anything, but to this day, my mother won't stay here past dark. The wife of that family said, The only thing that has ever happened to me over the years is that one time I felt the definite presence of a hand on my shoulder, but no one was there. Okay, again, these families that live here are way too fucking laid back. That neighbor's mom, the one that said, you know, um, screw that crap, I'm not going to stay there after dark, she said that her and her grandson Shelby saw a black orb about the size of a quarter floating in the room and across the television set. She said, I don't tell stories unless they're true. When that door slammed shut, there was no wind, no fan, and the window wasn't open. 
Another time, I had gone to the restroom with my granddaughter, Taylor. She had run out, leaving me in the restroom alone, and something like a man's voice breathed real heavy, real close to me. I got out of there and quick. To this day, I try not to go back in there and use that restroom anymore. Yeah, sure, all right. Now, she said that around that same time, her three-year-old granddaughter, Taylor, had told her mother, Mama, I saw the brown man, and he tried to pick me up. The grandma said, Now, how would my three-year-old granddaughter have been able to describe a colored person as brown? Kurt here, seriously, colored person grandma? Come on, racist grandma. Let's, let's, it's 2020. Now, racist grandma went on to say, There's something to this. Some people won't talk about it because they don't want to be considered crazy, or they just don't care to know the truth. Another neighbor, Vinay Luna, who lives in the neighborhood, said one night she came back home. One night she came home, both her husband and dog were looking straight ahead at the television. She said they would not acknowledge her presence at all. Then, two weeks later, my husband finally told me what happened, she said. He told me that when he had come in, and the dog was in the back corner of the house, hovering in the corner. When he went to check on the dog, he bent over to pick up his slippers, and they flew from his hands across the room. He said the reason that he hadn't looked at me is because they were both still terrified. She also said, Grandma always says there's a dark lady that comes to her and doesn't know why. Then sometimes she says there are children in her room, and she can't sleep because they're keeping her awake. The grandma said, Oh yes, I talk to them all the time. I won't let them get anything over on me. They will if I let them. Sometimes they ask me, where are you going? And I say, I'm going to the bathroom. Again, really laid back. Okay, now this is from a local story about the neighborhood. Mary Anderson, another neighbor who believes graves are buried under her home, has contacted Respect Houston, which is an organization that is willing to come and unearth the graves and move them to an undisturbed site. She says, if these people were my grandparents, I'd want them to be laid to rest in a proper place. Mary continues her ongoing pursuit to find, to try and identify the dead who have been buried in the Black Hope graveyard. Respect Houston is willing to move these graves to give them a proper burial, provided we identify the people who are actually buried. Any information that may help identify the people buried in Black Hope graveyard can be emailed to hope, the number four, hope for Black Hope graveyard, at gmail.com. So, if you guys have any information about Black Hope Graveyard, please let them know, because this is a new story. It's brand new. I mean, obviously, this stuff's been happening since the 80s, but they're still concerned about the fact that there's probably more people buried there, and they want to get them to, a, you know, to the rightful place. And I got to say, if I was any of these people living in this neighborhood, I wouldn't be so laid back and be like, yeah, whatever, I might have a couple of dead people buried in my backyard, or under a tree, or talking to my grandma while she's trying to go to the bathroom. No, man, get them the F out of there. All right, in that same article, that new article, there was a comment that said, I have lived in Newport my entire life, and currently my mother lives on a street near Poppets. Recently, she's been having strange things happen to her when she's home alone, like glass bowls breaking and the feeling she's being watched at all hours of the day. She's also heard two complete strangers that have lived one after the other in the house next door say that they have a male spirit in the house that always walks around at night asking, where are my girls? 
Two completely unrelated people having the exact same story about the place couldn't be a coincidence. Newport, and especially the area around Poppet's Way, is definitely haunted. Anytime I've been in her house, and especially what was once my room, which is the closest in the house to the, quote, poltergeist house, I felt like someone was in the room watching me. And even once when we had first moved in, I saw what appeared to be a person standing near me and staring at me. After that, I never slept in that room again and would feel very eerie even being in the room. So again, to this day, the activity seems to still be there. The bodies in the ground seem to still be there. The whole fucking thing seems to still be there. So as much as that movie Poltergeist terrified me, I can tell you what would terrify me even more. Living in a house that inspired the movie Poltergeist that terrified me. F everything about this. Everything about this. So now let me ask you this. Well, I'll ask you a couple of questions, but the first one I'm going to ask you is, if you moved into a new house, you went to go dig a pool, and you find two bodies, do you leave? Because I know I would. Do you put the bodies back in the ground? Because I know I wouldn't. Who the fuck would? But what would you do? You've just spent all your money on the house. Seemingly, you can't get out of it anymore. It's after that time frame where you can bail out. You're stuck there. You just spent all your money buying this house. What do you do? Do you make the best of it like these people are? Did you get a good deal on a house and you're like, well, I guess I'm kind of stuck here? Or do you bail like these people did, like the Williams and the Haney's did, and say, screw it, I'd rather be bankrupt and out the door than have to deal with this shit for one more day? Let me ask you this. Did the movie Poltergeist scare the hell out of you like it did me? I hope somebody out there says yes, because, like I said... F everything about that movie. Talk about inflating my fear of clowns. Yep, that did that. My fear of looking into a mirror and having my face chunk out like meat on a deli platter. Nope, screw everything about that. Swing pools? Yep, put that on there. Everything. Indian burial grounds. I mean, to this day, the Native American burial grounds are, you know, you, you, do, you definitely don't want to build on them, but... It's because of stuff like this that makes you go, yep, see, there you go. They knew back then. They knew what's going on since the 80s. Come on. Terrifying freaking movie. Now, do you believe the poltergeist curse? Do you believe that there was a curse that seemed to follow this movie? Or do you think it's just coincidence? I mean, there was a bunch of those. One of them didn't happen until 2009. The movie came out in 82 or whatever I said, so... Yeah, 82. So after a certain point, you got to be like, okay, that's not part of the curse. Sure, you were in the movie, but then you lived for another 30 freaking years. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think there was actually a poltergeist curse? If you were one of the actors in the movie, would you have kept doing these movies? I mean, I don't know how many they did, but it seems to me they did like five of them or something. Let me find out how many they did. So yeah, they did one, two, three then the reboot, then Poltergeist the Legacies. Oh, yeah, and then the TV show. I forgot about that. They did a freaking TV show about it as well. Why the hell anybody would want to do a bunch of movies and a TV show on something that's supposedly cursed? That ah, man, I gotta say, in my opinion, there was something to that curse. There's enough things that happened that were odd that I gotta say, yeah, probably was cursed. Probably was. Okay, with that... That about does it for the movie that terrified me the most. 
I'm not going to watch it with you guys. I'm not going to have some screening party where we all watch it together so you can watch me melt down. Nope, I don't need to revisit it. I had to revisit enough of it adding these little sound effects and blurbs in here throughout the whole thing. I'm not watching that freaking movie again. But I hope you guys liked this episode. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Hey, hey.